Welcome to the 2024 season of the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board's podcast. I'm your host, Tina Marchetti, Content Manager for the MSRB. I'm joined by Carol Converso, Director of Market Practices, and John Bagley, Chief Market Structure Officer. Carol and John will walk us through some of the significant events that occurred in the municipal bond market in 2023. Before we get started, I wanted to note that much of this conversation is based on a new report John wrote with Marcelo Vieira, the MSRB's Senior Director of Research and Market Transparency, recapping the major market developments in 2023. The report can be found in the Research and Data section of the MSRB website, and many of the stats mentioned in this podcast are available in the Market Statistics section of the EMA website. John, could you get us started? Sure, Tina, and Happy New Year to you, Carol. Happy New Year to you. So when I go back to 2022, I just remember how much happened in writing the recap and recording the podcast. I thought there's no way 2023 could top this. But I guess the municipal market really does appreciate it there because it was really just a tremendous year and a volatile year and just a year of some unprecedented events. With all that going on, Carol, what did you find to be the most interesting things in 2023? Well, thanks, John, and Happy New Year to you. So 2023, I'd say, was even more interesting than 2022. There are actually quite a few things that stood out for me. First, I'd say, is the volatile interest rates that we saw during the year, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. We also saw strong demand from individual investors, and that led to record trade count for the year in 2023. Another theme was the mutual funds. They had net outflows again in 2023, although they were much less than they were in 2022. Unfortunately, we had the failure of three regional banks, and as a result, they had to liquidate portfolios. And they did include some municipal bonds, although they didn't hurt the market as much as we thought. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Another topic, as we look at municipal holdings, we did see some changes. We saw a decrease in both banks and the insurance companies and their holdings of municipal debt. And as we look at new issue supply, I'd say it was really another moderate year for supply in 2023, although significantly we saw less taxable issuance that we saw earlier in 2020 and 21. For alternative trading systems, that's another hot topic. They continue to play an important role in providing liquidity, mainly for individual investors, but we're also seeing them increasing now for institutional liquidity as well. And lastly, and unfortunately, in December, we did see City announce it would be closing its municipal bond department in the first quarter of 2024. And you know, you'll remember, John, UBS announced in October that they would be closing their public finance business. So quite a lot happening in 2023, but I think that sums up the main themes that I saw. Yeah, Carol, I agree. I would pretty much have everything you have on my agenda as well. But probably the thing that got the most attention was related to yields. And Carol, we saw a lot of interest rate volatility in 2022. And frankly, that didn't subside at all in 2023. If you look at a 10-year historical yield curve for last year, it looks like a roller coaster ride. Can you discuss what you saw in regards to yields during 2023? Sure, John, and great analogy. Although the year-end rates in 23 were slightly lower than they were at the end of 22, that does not begin to even tell the story. So if you look at the benchmark 10-year, which are available on EMMA, we'll start in January, where rates dropped about 45 basis points. We then moved into February, where they rose about 50 basis points. And stay with me here, because in March to mid-April, they again declined about 60 basis points, and then they finally bottomed out around a 205 yield. 
However, starting in mid-April through October, we saw a long and steady rise, and those yields rose to levels we have not seen in about 15 years. So the 10-year tax-exempt actually peaked in late October, and that was close to a 363 yield. And remember, that was up about 160 basis points since mid-April. And then we lastly saw the significant rally with the 10-year rates closing the year at about a 225, and that was down nearly 130 basis points from the October highs and 37 basis points from the 2022 year-end. So as you said, John, it definitely is like a rapid decline on a roller coaster when you feel that pit in the bottom of your stomach. But then if you look at the whole year end, the yields are still nearly just 20 basis points above the yearly lows that were reached in mid-April. So it was quite a ride for the market, for sure. Yeah, Carol, I think people would miss a lot if they just took a look at year end rates in 22 and 23. And so ah, I guess not much happened in the muni space. So you talk about this dramatic rally, and looking back, we saw 10-year rates drop almost 100 basis points in November. They continued to drop in December, closing at, I believe it was around a 225. What do you think were the factors that led to this dramatic change and rally in the marketplace in just the last two months of the year? Yeah, we sure did, John, and that's a great question. And really, the rally started with the Treasury market, and when the Fed announced in November at their meeting that they were going to leave rates unchanged for the second consecutive meeting, and that really, I think, gave hope to an end of rate hikes for the market, and that message really helped fuel the performance of the muni market in the last two months of the year. We also, though, saw supply continue to fall short of demand at that time, and a lot of that was caused by this tremendous demand from individual investors, either directly buying individual or through their separately managed accounts. And that helped the muni market find its footing at the end of the year. And then we rallied dramatically. So in fact, the demand enabled the muni market to significantly outperform treasuries really in the last two months of the year. Yeah, Carol, that outperformance was dramatic. I totally agree with your analysis. Well, let's talk about trade count. John, I know you look at trade data very closely. What patterns or themes did you see in 2023? We do look at trade count very carefully, and previous MSRB research has consistently shown that there is a positive correlation between trade count and interest rates. And what I mean by that is normally you see demand from individual investors rise as interest rates rise. We also see increased selling from individual investors because they're taking tax loss swaps to lock in tax losses. And then when rates are low on the other side of the equation, demand from individual investors typically does wane and individual investors are more reluctant to sell their bonds because they don't want to lock in a gain. So that's a theme and a data we have seen on a consistent basis in numerous publications we had. And it certainly was for this year as well. Certainly, this pattern continued, and especially in the fourth quarter. When you look at this year, though it's a record trade count year, as you mentioned, it really is all about the fourth quarter. In the paper, we talk about trading in fixed rate securities. Some of the stats I'm going to give you here are related to trades in both fixed and variable rate trades. And the reason is, is if MMA wants to look at these, these numbers are all readily available in the market statistics section of EMMA. So in 2023, as we said before, we saw a record trade count for the year. We saw a record trade count for the fourth quarter. We saw a record trade count for a month in the month of November. And finally, we had record trade count for a single day on November 1st, 2023, where we had more than 87,000 trades reported to the MSRB. 
So you have record after record after record, but there are a few other stats that I think really put this in perspective. Prior to October, we had only seen three days with more than 80,000 trades in the market since the MSRB started collecting trade data in 2005. To put that in perspective, from late October through mid-November, we saw eight days with more than 80,000 trades in just less than a two-month period of time. And another stat that really shows how trade count increased is in the fourth quarter, average daily trade count rose 42% compared to the first three quarters of 2023. So though there was a record year in terms of overall volume, it really was dominated and caused because of this dramatic, dramatic increase in trade count in demand and selling as well in the fourth quarter of this year. So when you take back and you look year over year, Trade count for the year was about 3% higher than our previous record in 2022. But 2021 was our lowest year, and trade count this year was 72% higher than we saw in 2021. So similar to interest rates, volatile trade count as well. Yeah, that was really dramatic. Well, who knows what 24 will bring. <laughs> and then we'll talk a little more about the institutional investors. We know there was tremendous demand from individual investors, which we've talked about. What can you say about the institutional investors in 2023 and what they're looking at? Yeah, it's sort of a really different story from the institutional investor perspective. I guess I'd probably characterize demand as being lukewarm, maybe at best. It was just a challenge, and it created a challenge for the market in the whole place. And uh, the market did benefit from individual investors, but there was certainly a hole in most of the institutional space, with the exception of the separately managed account side. And to go into specifics, 2023, we again saw our net outflows from mutual funds. Net outflows were about $17 billion, nowhere near the $150 billion we saw in 2022. But obviously, not seeing that inflows does hamper demand from mutual funds, and it did it for this year. But again, they were a fraction of what they were, and they did not cause any really forced selling from mutual funds, but they certainly didn't help demand by any stretch of the imagination. You mentioned the insurance companies and banks basically reducing their holdings, I think banks by about 10.4%, and insurance companies by 9.5%, with a total of over $100 billion, $102 billion, I think the number is, in just nine months. So that's a significant amount of selling overall that the market had to deal with, and all also obviously impacts demand from two different types of investors that in many years have been a consistent source of demand in the marketplace. So I think that weighed on the marketplace overall and caused a challenge for where we are. But like we said before, it was unfortunate that individual investors did really get excited and did really jump into the product again. Yeah, it was good that we had an alternative investor, especially with insurance companies and some of the other big players that we needed for liquidity. Yeah, Carol, if I could, that's a point you make that I think is not spoken about as much as it should be. One challenge in the municipal space is compared to other fixed income markets, the depth of investors on the institutional side is just much less. The individual investor side is much bigger in munis than other places, but we just don't have nearly as many different types of investors because though the tax exemption has many benefits, there are some entities that don't need the tax exemption, can't take advantage of the tax exemption. So they don't really consider the tax exempt product. So when you do see some of these entities like banks and insurance companies reducing holdings, it can have a more significant impact on the marketplace. Yeah, that's a great point. And John, I spoke earlier about the failure of the three banks in that March-April timeframe. Can you talk a little bit more about the impact on the muni market from that? 
Back in March, early April, the list of portfolios in muni bonds that these banks held began to be circulated, and the market knew that they were going to need to be liquidated. And I think that the total was about $7.5 billion. I think that was the number, give or take. And that alone shouldn't really have given the market a lot of cause for concern. That's not a huge list if you do it over some period of time. But the real concern was about the structure of many of these bonds. A lot of these bonds were bought in 2020 and 2021 when rates were significantly lower. So a lot of these bonds were now going to trade at a significant discount to par. And in the muni space, there are significant tax implications for an investor when you buy bonds at a large discount. And traditionally, we have seen when uh, people are trying to sell this type of structure, again, large discount bonds, there is a much narrower institutional investor base that cares about it because of the tax implications. They typically trade at wider spreads than bonds that trade at par or premium do because there's just a much less varied investor base that cares about these. So that was the overall concern of the market in the spring. I'm glad to say, however, that there were buyers that entered the market who became really interested in this structure from an overall yield perspective, and also the fact that if interest rates did go down, these bonds had the potential to perform very well. And so these new buyers came into the market, and by the end of the second quarter, the portfolios were largely liquidated. And fortunately, they were liquidated at much tighter spreads than the market anticipated. So a difficult situation actually saw a fairly positive and efficient outcome. Yeah, it certainly could have been a lot worse. And that is one thing we do see in the muni market. We get these crossover buyers at certain intervals when yields or other market and asset classes are doing something maybe a little bit different or having issues. So I think that could have been a positive for us in that circumstance as well. Absolutely. I also talked briefly about the mutual funds and net outflows. But John, did you see any positive news in terms of institutional flows? Yeah, Carol, I would say there was. The SMA business, separately managed account business we mentioned before, though it's individual investor money, it's a lot of it driven through institutions. So that continues to be a significant and growing part of the marketplace. So I think that's a positive. The fact that tax-exempt ETFs had net inflows for the second consecutive year, even though a mutual fund had net outflows, I think that's a positive. And heading into the new year, we did see a string of 20 consecutive weeks of net outflows end in the middle of December. So I view that as a positive because if mutual funds can return to net inflows, that would be a big benefit for the marketplace and especially the long end of the marketplace because mutual funds are so important in that part of the yield curve. Yeah, that's a great point. They really have always been a major buyer out there on the long end. We talked about ATSs briefly and certainly the big role that they're starting to take on in the marketplace. So, John, I know the MSRB has published multiple research pieces looking at the role of ATSs in the market. What did you see with regard to ATSs in 2023? The alternative trading systems, the data we have tracked fairly consistently. And if you look at 2023, ATSs were involved in almost 60% of the Unidealer trades in munis up slightly from numbers we had previously seen, but they have become, in terms of number of trades, the majority of the trades happen through ATSs. I think where we've seen the biggest change, and we've reported on in at least the last couple of pieces, has been in the customer space. And so the dealers associated with ATSs were involved in 14% of all customer trades in 2023. 
If you think about it, that means that one out of every seven customer trade that happens is happening through the dealer of an ATS. So ATSs for a long time have been a major player in the unit dealer space in terms of the number of trades. And now they're really becoming a much bigger presence in the institutional space in trades with smaller size than many institutional trades are. But again, one out of every seven customer trades now happening over in the dealer for an ATS platform. So the ATSs continue to evolve and they continue to be an important part of the marketplace. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them as that continued growth in 2024. Yeah, it's something we will watch and report on if we see anything. You know, Carol, I'd like to turn this to you. You have a much deeper background than I do in terms of underwriting. And we talked a lot about records and trade count and e-record volatility and yields. We don't have any records to talk about a new issue volume, but it's obviously still an important part of the marketplace. From your perspective, could you tell us what you think were the major themes in 2023 related to new issue volume? Sure. Happy to. Thanks. In 2023, that'll be the second year in a row that new issue volume failed to reach $400 billion. And if you take a step back and look at 2020 and 21, in both of those years, it was almost $500 billion for new issue volume. So some of the same factors that impacted the volume in 22 were the same in 23. We had higher interest rates for a lot of the year, which made refundings even more difficult and not really cost-effective for issuers. And you also have to remember that many of these municipalities still have funds left over from the pandemic relief, which I think people forget about. And so they were using up those funds to finance any projects that they need rather than take on any additional debt on their books at this time, which really was a smart move. Tax-exempt issuance was actually up slightly from 2022 and really down about 7% from 2021. You know, now if we look at the taxable issuance in the primary market, on the other hand, you really saw some significant changes there. There really was a total of only 37 billion of taxable new issuance. That's down about 32% from 2022. But then if you look from 21, it was down 69%. And if you look at a whole, taxable issuance was only 10% of the market in 2023. But if we kind of take a look back, it was 14% of the market in 22, and then actually almost 30% in both 2020 and 21. So really some dramatic changes there on the taxable side. For the refunding, you know, the volume was nearly unchanged in 2023 as we look back to 2022. Carol, that's interesting because I think we have a tendency, I know I do sometimes, to focus on the overall number of issuance, and you see that it wasn't really changed very dramatically, but the various parts do change much more significantly because you said tax-exempt issuance was actually up a little bit, but the taxable issuance drove overall issuance down. So I think important and glad you bring out the pieces of the market because it's not just the whole, it's also what percent might be tax-exempt, what percent might be taxable. So, Carol, as you talk about the various aspects of the market, there really was a dramatic difference in taxable issuance over the course of the last few years. Can you talk about why in 2020 and 21 taxable issuance was so much larger than it was in 2023? Yeah, John, it's pretty simple and kind of one theme. But in 2020 and 21, we did have historically low interest rates. But remember the Jobs Act of 2018, and that removed the ability for the issuers to use tax-exempt debt to advance refund their existing debt. 
But with rates at historic lows in 20 and 21, issuers were then able to use that taxable debt to advance refund those issues. So they were still able to take those out. And that was really the biggest portion of that taxable issuance and why it was so large in those years. Yeah, those numbers really do stand out, a dramatic change in that marketplace. Carol, before you and I talk about conclusions and maybe a little bit about 2024, you mentioned earlier the announcement from Citi that they would be shutting their municipal bond business and the UBS would be closing their public finance business. Can you talk about what impact you think that could have on the marketplace in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, certainly, John. So City did announce in December that we'll be shutting down its entire bond desk the first quarter of 2024. And I do think that is significant. Although City's market share has dropped in recent years, they were the number two underwriter with 13% market share in 2018. Now they have moved down to the sixth slot with 6% market share in 2023, but you know, really still a significant player in the market. Although the market does seem poised to handle the departure, I still believe that City's exit could have impact on liquidity in the market really over time. We also mentioned about UBS, and that was in October. They did announce that they were exiting public finance only, though. So keep in mind, they are going to continue to bid on competitive issues and be a player in that side of the market. And then they're also going to trade bonds in the secondary. So they're not closing their secondary market trading desk. And at the time in their market, just to pinpoint their ranking, they were ranked 20 in underwriting at that time. So as we begin to wrap this up, when I go back to the podcast the MSRB put out in 2022, we use the words unprecedented and unpredictable to summarize the year. Carol, what word or words would you use for 2023 and why? Well, although the words unprecedented and unpredictable, I probably do still apply in 2023, but have been used. I'll go with volatile to summarize the market in 23. You know, volatile because of the large and often significant changes in the yields, which I went through and hopefully everyone (laughs) said wasn't spinning. But then also, as you talked about, the dramatic increase in the number of trades in the fourth quarter. So, John, I'll ask you the same question, except you can't use my word, volatile. What do you see? I knew I should have gone first, Carol. Volatile is a very good choice, but I guess if I can't use that, I would probably have to go with ever-changing. I really think if you look at the muni space right now, the market is changing and it's changing rapidly. Technology is really playing a bigger, bigger role in, in the market and participants need technology in order to keep up with what you mentioned, the growing number of trades, the growing number of offerings that are out there, the growing number of bid wanted. So I think though the municipal market was slower than other fixed income markets, I think they really are changing and starting to catch up to some of the other products. Yeah, I'd say, hold on, (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) Um, So one last question, John, what do you think will be the key factors for the muni market in 2024? My guess is whatever I have would be similar to you or what a lot of other people have. Certainly, all eyes will be on the Fed and what the Fed sentiment is. That obviously can have an impact on the Treasury market and then impact the muni market. In the muni market, I think a lot of it's going to be about what happens in the demand sector. Specifically, will tax-exempt mutual funds go back to net inflows? Will banks and insurance companies continue to reduce their holdings? I think that's likely, but if so, by how much? And how will individual investors react? We always said individual investors, research shows that the higher the yield, the more demand we get. 
But, you know, yields are down dramatically from where they were in late October. So coming into the new year, what will demand from individual investors look like? So I think from a demand perspective, those three things are things we'll follow and look at. And of course, supply could be a critical factor. Any significant increase that might happen in new issue volume could impact the marketplace. So it's uh, basic economics, supply and demand. It's what we'll be looking at. With that, I think our time is just about up. So I'd like to turn it back to Tina. Thank you, John and Carol, for walking us through the key trends in the municipal bond market in 2023 and making some forecasts for 2024. And thanks for everyone for listening to the latest MSRB podcast. The information provided in this MSRB podcast is intended for educational purposes only and provides a general overview of the subject matter. The content of the podcast does not constitute legal, investment, tax, business, or other advice, and is not an MSRB rule or an amendment or an interpretation of any MSRB rules. MSRB podcasts are the sole property of the MSRB. You may access and download MSRB podcasts only for your educational, non-commercial use. You may not reproduce them in whole or in part in any form or reference them in any publication without the MSRB's prior written consent. Copyright 2024, the Municipal Securities Rulemaking Board, all rights reserved. Do you have ideas that can help the MSRB create the future of market transparency? Come and collaborate and innovate with us in Emma Labs, the MSRB's innovation sandbox. Visit emmalabs.msrb.org to get started today. Thank you.